All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Come on in, pull up a chair. Good to see everyone on this Memorial Day weekend. We are enjoying, I know, it's, it's amazing. This is the, I think this is the first Sunday school I've taught where the weather has been really nice, so I give credit to Grant for ushering the nice weather in last weekend. So thank you, Grant, for filling in for me last weekend. Uh, moving us forward a little bit in Amos, I was able to catch a good chunk of that. Thank you to the uh, advancements in technology. We were uh, traveling in South Dakota last weekend. We got a quick trip into the Black Hills and the Badlands, so that was a lot of fun. Um, so I'm thankful that Grant was able to cover uh, a little bit in Amos last week. And again, happy Memorial Day. Uh, I know that is tomorrow, but uh, that is certainly a worthy holiday we celebrate here in the United States. So uh, for all the, those who have served, uh, certainly this this is one of those holidays we reflect and think, thank you for the work that you've done for our country. Uh, this Sunday today, uh, this is I think the fifth week I've been teaching. It's going to be a bit of a transitional week. We're going to reflect and kind of do a wrap-up overview of what we talked about with bibliology. And then we're going to preview the next part of our Theology 101 series, which will be Theology Proper. Uh, so uh, that's what, what's in store for us today. And so let's do a bit of a recap on bibliology. Uh-oh, I think I lost something there. Back. So with theology uh, proper, we'll start that full board next week. But with bibliology, we spent four weeks looking into that. And I hope your memories are in good shape today. We're going we're gonna to challenge them. I know a little bit of a a uh, different track last week with Amos, so hopefully you can pull some of these uh, early thoughts back from the last month and a half or so. All right, let's take a look at the objectives we set out as we launched into bibliology. And we said we're going to take a look at four aspects of Scripture, and that ended up being five, as, as you might recall. Uh, we'll get into those here in a little bit as we recap those. We also said we wanted to identify key passages of Scripture related to these aspects, which uh, hopefully all of us understand the importance of being able to go to God's Word and identify, here's what we believe, here's where we can find it, and maybe identify a passage, put it into our minds, and have that at the ready when asked. Right? God's Word says we ought to be ready to give an answer uh, when called upon. Third objective, uh, answer questions related to understanding different interpretations of various passages. And really, this is why we've got different denominations, right? Uh, different denominations will look at a passage, and they might come down uh, on a different level, on a different thought process than we may. And uh, for us, we've got to be able to work through some of these challenging passages and come to a concrete belief, as concrete as we can be, in terms of what we understand that passage to be. So we talked about four or five different steps uh, to doing so as we look at God's Word in various passages. Fourth objective we had was to define key terms related to bibliology. And as I recall, most of these started with the letter I. Does that ring a bell? We had a lot of I words 
that we should think about when it comes to bibliology. Can anybody recall those I words that are important and maybe even define some of those I words? Inerrancy, okay, and what does that mean? Right, right, without error, no flaws. Not, not many books can say that, huh? What else? So we've got inerrancy, that's one of our key terms related to bibliology. Okay, inspired, inspiration, and uh, can you define that for us, Doug? Right, right. So God breathed. Uh, I think we, one of, one of the few times I'll bring up uh, foreign language into our Theology 101, but came across this Greek term, uh, oh, I can't even remember. That's how bad I am at Greek. Uh, but the idea was uh, God, so that's it, Theonustos, God breathed, Theonustos. Um, so we've got inerrancy, inspiration, what else? Any other words come to mind? Yes, infallible, yeah, that's right. So we kind of differentiated the difference between Inerrant and infallible, and uh, do you happen to remember, Ruth, the difference between infallible and inerrancy? Very similar. Slight tweak. So infallible is the idea of um, not capable of failing. So there's a reliable factor there when you think about the word infallible. Um, One other... One other I word is illumination, right? So illumination is what we are able to uh, bring to light when we are saved. The Holy Spirit dwells us, and he then lightens the scripture for us so we can understand it, and he helps us to live it out. And that is part of the process of illumination. Okay, so let's get into these aspects we've been talking about for the last month and a half or so. The first aspect related to bibliology is the authority of Scripture. And I've kind of just put together a summary uh, definition of each of these aspects. So I think for the authority of Scripture, we can safely say it is the ultimate source and directive for what we believe and what we do. And what you'll see in a lot of church, uh, you go to maybe their website or maybe it's certain in their constitution, you'll see these ideas of faith and practice grouped together. And that's what we're saying here. So they're saying God's word is their one-stop shop for what they're going to teach, what they're going to hopefully believe, and then how that's going to help people live their lives. Uh, So that's what we mean when we say the authority of Scripture. Okay, so here's a softball question. Why, Why does the Bible have authority? right. So it was shared that when the Bible speaks, that is God speaking. So God is the author. The God of the universe has spoken to us in his word, so that should and does carry a lot of weight, all right, more so than any author. How do we know God? This is a good follow-up question. How do we know God is the author? Wayne? One is 
So Wayne shared that he not only says he is the author in the Bible, but there is this amazing unity and this meshing from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. As you go through all 66 books, it points to one author. So that is a, that is a good answer. And some of the biblical proof that we have, um, I'm going to ask you all if you can remember some of our proof texts. I know this goes back several weeks now, but where in the Bible do we know that God is the author? Floor. Okay, John 1, in the beginning was the Word. All right, the Word was with God. So there's a parallel there. Good. What else? Other proof texts that we've identified? Okay, Wayne says Genesis 1-1 is a good one. In the beginning, God created the heavenly earth. And that's actually, Wayne, you're, you're, you're not only with that answer talking about today, but you're also talking about next Sunday as we get into God existing. So good. Already I... Okay. <laughs> you stay at home. Okay. What else? Okay, I'll throw a couple up here. Second Peter one twenty one, and again, I'm going to summarize these verses here, but what that tells us is men were moved by the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, not their own will. So in other words, Peter is writing, and he's saying, this is not just somebody coming up with their own thoughts, their own ideas, uh, putting it onto parchment. This is actually God's Spirit moving these people to write. All right, so this is one of our key proof texts. By the way, if I haven't shared this with you yet, I'll share it now. I've really grown to love Second Peter when it comes to being one of those Bible books that you can go back and really anchor in on some of these bibliological ideas. It really, it's not a long book, but from the very start of it, we get Second Peter 1.3, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Later on in chapter 1, we get this book that explains some of the process about how God used and worked through men to write God's word. And then at the very end, you might remember 2 Peter 3.16 is where we see that parallel that Peter's referring to Paul's writings as scripture. So 2 Peter really is a, a, a strong book when it comes to bibliology. And what does that say? Okay, Exodus 2, 4, uh, Moses writing the words of the Lord. Yeah, that's, that's another good, good passage. Thank you. Maybe the key one for us is 2 Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then it goes on in verse 17 to talk about the benefits uh, of, of what the word of God does for our lives. Profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All right, second aspect. Hopefully it's starting to come back a little bit now. Clarity of Scripture. When we talk about the clarity of Scripture, we're saying Scripture is clear in its overall message, and it brings clarity thanks to illumination provided by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's think back here. Where in the Bible can you remember there being some proof for these ideas? That uh, the Bible is clear in its overall message, and it also 
serves us to make things clear as we walk through this dark world. Okay. Okay, Charlton Heston. I, I, I wasn't ready for Charlton Heston today, but we'll go with it. That, was, that, was that called Exodus? Was that the name of the movie? Or is it Moses or Ten Commandments? I, I don't recall. The Ten Commandments. Okay, all right. Point taken, though, John. Point taken. I should add that to my notes here. Charlton Heston. Um, okay, so I've got, I think I've got maybe one or two passages here. Does anybody recall some proof passages uh, for the clarity of Scripture? <clears throat> Good. So Doug said Psalm 119, which is one of the passages we've, we've added here today. Verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And again, we are living in a dark world. And the need for this lamp and this light is vital for us as believers as we, we make our way through this dark world. So this is, this is what the word of God does. It, it helps us understand right and wrong and it provides this important light to our path. And then Deuteronomy 6, we talked a little bit about this. It is clear enough that children can be taught God's word. This is what was instructed in Deuteronomy, that parents are responsible to share God's words with their children. And so the thinking is this. If a young person is able to comprehend it, we all should be able to comprehend it. There is that type of clarity uh, within God's word. Okay, third aspect, sufficiency of scripture. No other information is needed from God for us to live our lives in a wise and godly manner. So that's, again, kind of my summary here of what does the sufficiency of scripture mean and we go back again to the book I, I just talked about, Second Peter 1.3. Uh, Peter writes, and he said, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us. Deuteronomy, so we're kind of bouncing here between Old Testament and New Testament, which is a good thing to do. Uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And here's some instruction here, I, kind of summarizing the key verbs. Listen, talking about the law of the Lord. Listen and do to live. And by the way, do not add or take away. So within that, you see sufficiency, do you not? And so that takes place. And I, I believe we also mentioned Revelation, didn't we? We talked about Revelation. There's a bit of a, a warning there in Revelation 22 if you mess with the word of God, you are subject to the plagues, um, as John writes there. Okay, the fourth aspect, and we thought we were going to close with this one as we worked our way through bibliology, is the necessity of Scripture. So I'm going to test your memories again. Sorry. God's word is necessary for what? Okay. 
Second Timothy 3.17, so it helps us with those things, yep. Good, and thank you, Nick. He said teaching and reproof. Everyday life. Everyday life, that's right. Yes, Dan. To recognize there is a God, absolutely. Can, can people recognize there is a God without Scripture? He can, but he really makes himself uh, extra clear uh, through the pages of his word. So we've got salvation. We talked about this. Romans 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And again, one of, one of our favorite stories, and we just read this uh, a day or two ago in my home, was the story of the Ethiopian eunuch uh, who was traveling, and then God brings in Philip, um, just directs Philip to go meet this Ethiopian eunuch who was struggling to read the scroll of Isaiah. And uh, Philip shows up, is able to explain a little bit more about this God that uh, the eunuch is reading about, and the eunuch is so thrilled, he says, all right, I need to get baptized. Oh, look, there's water. What's stopping me from getting baptized right now? I want to I wanna take the next step in my faith. And he does so. so. But that's just a case in point of the importance of God's word when it comes to being able to come to a point of salvation. Also, knowing God's will. We talked, went back to the Old Testament, looked at Deuteronomy 29, 29, and you've got a couple of uh, interesting elements of God's will. You've got his revealed will uh, talked about in that verse, and then it makes reference to the secret things will in that verse as well, which some of these ideas we, we try to struggle with. And what is God's will for my life? And why don't I know this? Well, it says the secret things belong to the Lord, and we, we trust in that. And then uh, spiritual thriving. I think John was uh, referencing this, Matthew 4, 4. Christ said, as he's dealing with Satan there, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And our challenge is, do we, do we believe that? Do we believe God's word is as vital to our life here on this earth as food is to our life? And I, I, I would hope we say we do. And then we added on a fifth aspect, the canon of Scripture. Uh, this is the idea, and again, my summary here, a collection of books accepted as legitimately from the author. So this was the most recent lesson we had. So does anybody remember the other possible definitions that would fit in for canon of Scripture? We put up three, and this was the last one. And I think for our purposes, this is what we would typically use when we're talking about bibliology. We would say the canon means the collection of books accepted as legitimately from God. Um, but some of those other earlier definitions were pretty good too. Does anybody remember even going back to the Greek, Greek word, K-A-N-O-N? Yes, good, a measuring rod. That's right, that was one of them. The other one may be a little bit more obscure. Everybody remember? Mine's going to be a, a rough paraphrase here, too, for me. So it, it had to do with a, a group of rules that religious groups follow. So you had the measuring rod, which comes from the Greek, K-A-N-O-N. Then you've got another definition referring to uh, 
what rules do religious groups follow? And then the third definition, which, which I've got stated here. And I, I like them all, really, to some degree, as we think about um, our definition of canon. Okay, so now I'm going to really, really ask you some mind-boggling questions, because this is going back 14 days or so. What was the purpose of the canon? Why did we need the canon? Thank you, Sue said, to recognize what books are God-inspired. And why did we need that? Why wasn't it crystal clear after the apostles had passed away? Okay, so Jonathan, of writings out there by individuals, some were legitimate, but then there were others who started coming up with their own writings, adding, you know, giving credit to apostles who were already dead to try to make a name for themselves, right? Like the Gospel of um, Mary and the Gospel of Thomas, uh, Gospel of Peter. Those were some examples of people who were using pseudonyms uh, to come up with these, these books that they would hope would catch on. So we needed to know really what, what books were inspired. That was, that was exactly right. Purpose of the canon. Okay, who would like to take a stab at this? What was the process of the canon? What, what were the criteria used for the canon? Okay, so Nick said they had to be verifiable with the accounts that, that they knew were legitimately uh, God's word. Okay, so yeah, that's, that's a measuring rod. Yes? So what's shared is that uh, the Old Testament was settled by the Jews, the New Testament relatively early on settled by the Christian church. And then you've got some of these other false books that, that came in and they, they weren't as well received. So I don't think it took those who were looking at these books too long once they got into these to say, yeah, this is not matching up. Okay, anything else on the process of the canon? Scott? Okay. He said that uh, in the New Testament, one of the cri criterion used was it had to be written or overseen by an apostle. So, right, we've got the apostolic connection uh, for these writings. All right. Anything else? That's right. It was it received and accepted by the churches, and we made the case and uh, made the case that the churches knew some of these apostles pretty well, so they had a personal relationship with some of these apostles. So that was a key factor that Doug shared: reception by the churches. And we talked about in the end of Colossians four the idea with these 
letters that were sent by apostles was that they would be circulated to other churches. They weren't just supposed to stay and um, stay in that church, don't move outside of that church. The idea was to pass it along to other believers. And look at us today, 2,000 years later, still reaping the benefits of that. Good. Okay, easy one. What is the result of the canon? And you might have to kind of balance your answer out looking at it from different faith groups' perspectives. But we'll, we'll, we'll focus in on the Christian um, Bible. What, what is the result? What did we end up with because of this process? Sixty-six books is correct. And how many in the Old Testament? Thirty-nine. And the New Testament was? Twenty-seven. Right, twenty-seven. So that... <laughs> so so that, that's where we ended up. Now, I said we, we're going to kind of separate it out from our faith perspective. The Catholic Church would have a different number because they're including more books with the Apocrypha. But we do agree uh, with the Jews in terms of what does the Old Testament count look like. They're, they're with us on the 39. Okay. This is something I, I just wanted to kind of, uh, ran out of time last time we were together, so uh, Eric, go ahead. the Catholic and the Orthodox Christian churches, why do they include the Apocrypha? All right. What would you like to share on that?
Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, so Eric shared that Constantine, who was Roman emperor uh, predominantly in the 4th century, uh, took really a, an anti-Jewish stance. And some, some of the books that had been written that were being considered for inclusion into the canon, um, Catholics had to, I'm sorry, not Catholics, but uh, the Jews had to make their own path in a sense. And you're right. I think a lot of times Constantine does get a lot of credit for his pro-Christianity stance. You know, he saw this cross in his vision, and it said, by this, conquer. And, and for Christians who were going through persecution, this was a great thing. No longer were they under serious persecution. They actually had somebody on their side now. Um, but the Catholics then, um, as you started seeing this separation of churches, Catholics and Orthodox uh, moving forward, some of these teachings they started clinging on to and they wanted to keep. And it goes back a little bit to the church's authority too. So those who were more church authority, in other words, we talked a couple weeks ago about who is giving the authority for canonization. Are we giving that ability to God or are we giving that to the church? All right, so there's a bit of a distinction there. So for the Catholics who really are all about institutional authority, that the church has the ability to do certain things that's outside of the Bible, the pathway started opening up during the time of Constantine for them to uh, include some of these teachings, like, like Eric said, purgatory being, being one of the key, key teachings. Yes? Good, good point. So she, she shared that Constantine created an additional problem. It may sound good on the outside that, hey, everybody has to be a Christian, but <laughs> nowhere in Scripture is that commanded. And so you couldn't tell who really was and who really wasn't. So, you know, the Roman Empire, you went from being hunted down as a Christian to now you better be a Christian or else under the time of Constantine. So it, it really was a 180. Yeah. It's not. It's early. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I mean, the Catholics really. I mean, they really make their mark around the time of the Reformation in terms of okay, you reformers are going this direction with with your books. We're we're going to now anchor in on the Apocrypha, and that took place around the time of the Reformation. So, okay. Uh, importance of knowing this information. I, and I, I didn't get into this too much, but I, I do want to bring it home today because, again, we, we don't want to just have knowledge of things. We want to actually um, live these things out and have these uh, beliefs make a difference in our lives. So I will say this about the canon of Scripture. This is one of those areas where if we don't have our young people understanding how the Bible came to be, they're in big trouble if they go to public colleges and universities. I'll tell you, the mission, it may not be stated, it may be more of a subtle mission for a lot of these higher educational institutions is to remove the basis of faith for believers. They, they are bent on that. If they can do what they 
want to do, they will say, who is God? Does God exist? No. What is his word? How do you know it's his word? And if our young people don't understand these pieces, they're in big trouble. So it is, it is vital uh, that even as we talk about the canon of Scripture, that our young people understand this and that we explain this to them so they don't just go in there with, as, as, as sheep being led to a slaughter because these institutions are serious. I, I can't remember the last stat I saw for young people who hold to faith going into a public college and university, and they come out, and it's gone. It's, I think it's something like 80%. It's devastating for the church. Okay, I've just got a couple of minutes left here, but let's just uh, preview what we're going to talk about next. We're turning the page from bibliology into theology proper. So here are our objectives for the next several weeks. We're going to define theology proper. We're going to understand key terms related to theology proper. We're going to identify several attributes and their proof passages, similar to what we did with bibliology, and some memorable moments uh, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. We're also going to differentiate between and answer questions related to human understanding and attaining of God's attributes. And really, one of my goals here is to help us glory in our great God as we consider the vastness of his attributes. And I hope as we work our way through theology proper, we all will have moments where we're going to rejoice and say, thank you, Lord, for this attribute that I've had to lean on. Thank you, Lord, for this attribute that I can come to you and rely upon as we live our lives. Okay, so what is theology proper? Can somebody provide a a good definition for us uh, as we start previewing this new aspect of theology? Study of God. Study of God, all right, good. And maybe even more specifically, study of God the Father, and we're going to focus on his attributes. So when we say theology, generally we're talking about things related to God. When we say theology proper, we'll say God the Father. If we say Christology, that would be Jesus Christ. And if we say pneumatology, that would be the study of the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of how we can break it down as we think about the members of the Trinity. Okay, so this is a a major challenge for me and kind of a a daunting task. But uh, God the Father and his attributes, what is is our challenge here? Or is it easy? Is it it an easy study? (laughs) Yeah, we we don't have the mind of God, we? Uh, You don't know where to stop. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. He's immutable. All right, that's, that's good. We're, we're used to things changing. God is, is not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to sum all that up, here, here's, here's our challenge. And for me, as I try to guide us through this topic, um, so we're humans. I'm, I'm very human. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to discuss and describe God who clearly is God. Um, I'm flesh and blood. I don't have the mind of God, as was mentioned. I'm working towards that, but I'm not there. So my challenge is, how can we do this adequately? Now, my teaching session, I I will teach for about a quarter, and I think this is week five. So I've got, I don't know, seven or eight weeks left. So my hope 
You could probably take one of these attributes and just go on and on and on, right? You can just try to exhaust it. You see, you see where I'm at with this? This is tough. And if you were to look at the book, hopefully you all have a copy of the book we're working through, uh, there are 20 to 25 different attributes and uh, not a lot of pages. Again, this is a Theology 101. We're not going into a master's level course here. So I think my plan right now, unless Pastor says, Ryan, we've got to do something different here. This, this is not cutting it for theology proper. Uh, but we'll, we'll try to take the rest of this time and maybe look at three attributes a week and see if we can do that. But again, I, it's kind of silly. Just even, yeah, you see my conundrum. But we do have an opportunity. Uh, God has revealed what he wants us to know about himself. Remember the sufficiency of scripture. We have good information we can unpack in the next several weeks. And then some key terms about God the Father and his attributes. Communicable versus incommunicable. And the idea here, we're gonna, I'm going to try to remember to do this. For each of these attributes, we're going to ask the question, is this a communicable attribute? Can it be passed along or transmitted to us in some fashion? Or is it incommunicable, unable to be passed along to us, where this attribute only belongs to God? So we will take a look at these. I know in the last three years, as we thought about uh, COVID and diseases, and this, this is where you might see... Um, so a lot of times, communicable might have a negative connotation, like, okay, can it be transmitted? Can it be passed along? And in this regard, though, for us, those attributes that God shares with us, that is a blessing. We should be thankful for that. This is a, a positive connotation as we think about communicable in light of God's attributes. Okay, we're not going to have time for the group exercise. We're down to just a couple minutes, but I will preview... Um, here are the attributes we're going to take, take a look at. All of these are in, in our books, and I'm going to try to combine some that are pretty closely related. I'm going to do that in the first week. Uh, there are a couple of different attributes in our book. One is God exists, and God is eternal. I'm going to combine that into God exists eternally. And then I've combined a couple others that are similar, and then I've one right here at the very end. This, this one is not in your book, but I think, I think the fact that God is faithful, that is a worthy, a worthy study. And if you think of other ones and you want to share them over the course of the next several weeks, feel free, because I do want to give time for testimonies and the chance for let the redeemed of the Lord say so when it comes to God's attributes. Okay, any final questions, thoughts, or comments as we close out for today? Flora. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that. I've never seen the Red Letter Bible, but it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they're just saying we're only going to take the teachings of Jesus, exactly. and that's it, right? So I agree. Uh, God would, what I think God would say is, yeah, this is my son. We need to pay attention to what he says, uh, but there is more to the story. Uh, you would have to remove the whole Old Testament and quite a bit of the New Testament. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, the red-letter Bible.
good, good. So John's saying of all the faiths he's studied, this is the only faith that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so um, maybe that speaks to the eternality of God, which we'll get into uh, next week, Lord willing. Okay, any uh, final comments, thoughts? Okay, with that, let's have a word of prayer, and we will dismiss for our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and what a joy it's been for the last several weeks to uh, take a look and and understand from your word why we uh, believe it to be your word and how it guides us in this dark world. Where would we be without it? Um, We thank you, Lord, for what you've shared about yourself, and it is a daunting task to try to do justice um, in the next several weeks to talk about theology proper and who you are and what you are like. We're thankful that you have shared some of these attributes with us. As we know, we were created in your image. And, uh, Lord, that means we we will reflect and we should try to reflect you. So we pray that uh, through the help of your spirit we are able to do that in this dark world. We pray now for the service ahead, Lord, that you would be glorified through the singing and through the preaching of your word. Uh, We thank you again for this beautiful day and for uh, this longer holiday weekend. And we we are just so grateful for the country we live in and for those who have uh, given their lives uh, for, for us and our freedom. Uh, Go with us now. We thank you again in Jesus' name.